G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 12 Review Edition as we return very, very briefly to some sort of fixture normality before we uh, lurch into a second, believe it or not, a second Footy Fest, Footy Fest 2 or Footy Frenzy 2, whatever you like to call it. But uh, just temporarily, we, we're sort of back to how we often are. So we are reviewing uh, nearly the entirety of Round 12, and we will do a preview of the last game of Round 12, which is on Monday night between Richmond and the Gold Coast. As I say, very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finding? I'm going well, just getting, you know, just acclimatising myself to this dystopian reality. Oh, don't start me. <laughs> if I have to listen to that Fox footy ad one more time, dead set, and I never want to hear the word dystopian again after this. And I'll tell you what, after this season, I never want to see multi-Mike next up Nate and Trenchy again either. I'm telling you, I've had a gutful of football ads on TV. <laughs> I knew I could get you uh, uh, venting and and ranting off the top, but yeah. mm. yes. Um, oh, what can I say? Oh, the weather was okay this weekend. I'll say this: we have got to, as a state, as a city, observe whatever curfews and rules are put in place because this is absolutely driving me crazy. This, you know, stage four lockdown. So. Whatever it takes, make this the last time we ever do it. Yeah, I think uh, you speak for a whole state there. It's certainly getting harder and harder. And, of course, the news today that it's being extended for a a few more weeks, uh, probably pretty predictable. But um, I guess we've got to be grateful for footy. It's sort of um, a very small speck of light in uh, what is a very dark tunnel for Victorians at the moment. Uh, Very envious of you people listening to us elsewhere, not only around the country, but around the globe. So uh, spare us your thoughts, if you will. But the footy's been good. Uh, Some dramatic uh, scenes over the weekend, which we'll talk about in detail. Before we do that, though, Finey, uh, how about giving our sponsors a plug? Got an herbs for a great burger, then I know where you need to be. But, of course, you can only be there within the rules currently laid out by the state government. And I'm talking about 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews Hamburgers. What a beacon of light. What a wonderful, wonderful treat in tough times. And these are tough times, but those burgers are tender. They're tender, aren't they, Rowan? You know about the patty, the patty. They're tender, they're juicy, the bun's soft but still firm. The vegetable ingredients uh, beating with uh, fresh moisture, the patty, sumptuous meat, uh, just the juices, just oozing, not too much, but just a little bit out of the bun, cheese if you want it, bacon, uh, your your choice of uh, embellishments 
on the burger. And in fact, I haven't eaten much today, so I'm starting to salivate as I run through the ingredients. So you better stop me before I dribble all over my microphone, Fonny. But uh, wonderful sponsors, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And uh, we know some wonderful home renovators too, don't we, Mark? Well, we certainly do. Now, Nick Spartels of West Point Properties, talk about the footy connection. Dyson Heppel, oh, Essendon wishes he was on field. But at least we know he's back at home in a beautiful West Point property home, as is Scott Pendlebury when he's in Melbourne, Mike Sheehan, and so can you. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, inner southeastern Melbourne. Wonderful sponsors they are for a long time now. Wonderful audience you are, and we're here to give you a full rundown of all the games thus far in round 12. Let's do it now. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 12 got underway on Thursday evening with the uh, battle of something or other, the two New South Wales teams, Sydney and GWS. And it produced... Uh, well, not even a minor upset. Fair to class this one, a fairly major upset, but an emphatic win to the Swans by 41 points. Emerging triumphant, 10 goals, 6, 66 to a miserable 3 goals, 7, 25. Pretty sure that was equal the Giants' lowest score. In fact, was that equal their grand final day score? That was certainly pretty miserable. Both correct, uh, Rowan. Both correct. Uh, okay. Well, not not good territory for the Giants. For the Swans, two goals each to Dawson and Blakey. Singles to Rowbottom, Foot, Thurlow, Stevens, Haywood and Bell. For GWS, won't take long to run through these. Cameron, Finlayson and Langdon. And uh, disagree. GWS's goal kickers, three goals, the umpires. Okay, yes, you did make that point on footyology final siren. Pretty academic in the finish. So Swans set up this win with a three goals to nothing first quarter, another two to one in the second term. The Giants a miserable one-three at half time. And uh, well, the Swans also cashed in, relatively speaking, in the last quarter with another four goals. They were terrific. They'd be absolutely thrilled with this performance, finally. They were hard at it. Um, the senior men really stood up. Parker, terrific in the midfield. Rampy, outstanding in defence. Uh, some of the young guys looked particularly good. Uh, my boy, Rowbottom, played really well again, I reckon. Nick Blakey, probably his best game of the year. Jordan Dawson, a very cool customer he is, and uh, creeping forward to kick a couple of goals up there, and uh, Milliken in defence, uh, like the cut of his jib as well. For the Giants, well, they had nothing. They had no targets up forward. Um, their defence got shut down as a rebounding tool. Uh, I think uh, Will Haywood doing a pretty good sort of defensive forward job on Nick Haynes. Kelly and Cornelio, you know, foremost for them. Whitfield gave a, a yelp. Perryman had a crack, but not nearly enough teammates on board finally, and um, they are looking pretty bloody tenuous as a finals proposition, I would say. Do you agree? Oh, look, if a team relies that heavily on Toby Green to have a functional forward line and a scoring, and, and putting together a score that doesn't embarrass, then you can't consider yourself finals material, which is very disappointing because traditionally, 
a team that is runners up for the first time, you know, in, in, a, in a period is in store for better things in the following years, aren't they? You, it's normally a springboard to far better, but boy, oh boy, are they disappointing. The disappointment comes in a couple of ways for mine. First of all, I mentioned it on Footyology Final Siren, not a lot of versatility in that team in game, is there, Rowan? Set positions seem to be almost locked in and these players just don't have the versatility to be moved around to face whatever's thrown at them on an afternoon or an evening. Now, beyond that, the other problem is there is a big gulf of talent between the five best and the five worst now at that club. And unfortunately, you get exposed at your bottom end, don't you, at AFL level? And I think that's their problem. Just focusing on Sydney for a sec. Rowbottom, he's a good kid. I, I don't love his kicking, but boy, he's endeavour. He almost leads the way in that midfield with Parker now, especially with Kennedy out for desperation. So more, more strength to him. I mean, you picked a good one there to sort of um, hang your, hang, not hang their future on, but you identified him as a future, a, a bright spark, even in the dark times. And how about the return of Blakey after being dropped? Well used by the coach, but credit to that lad as well. And Melican, now more than just the only word to rhyme with Pelican if you are writing a nautical poem. Well, uh, you know, the other big issue looming for the Giants, they are now outside the eight as we speak. Um, but percentage, uh, their percentage is 98.2. Melbourne are ahead of them by 20%. And uh, there are three teams, each with six wins. Oh, sorry, the Bulldogs have actually played another game. But Melbourne is really the main obstacle to the Giants getting inside the eight. They're 20% behind the Demons. So that's effectively, well, even potentially two games. So um, they are in a lot of trouble. Unless they pull their fingers out very quickly, they're going to go from grand finalists to not even appearing in the finals. Um, Sydney, well, we sort of knew what we were going to get with them this year. I think we knew it was going to be a struggle, particularly once they lost some key players. But you've got to admire their fight. They have battled on in virtually every game this year and uh, will emerge, not with a final spot, but certainly with a few credits in the bank and a bit of um, a bit of light on the horizon, I feel. Do you agree with that? You know, Rowan, at the end of the season, if a team can say, all right, look, we haven't played finals, but we've unearthed three or four players that are going to be 150-plus game players for us. I reckon that's a positive season. Yeah. And we knew, look, maybe we knew Dawson coming into this year. Maybe. But we certainly didn't have the same faith in a row bottom. We didn't have the same faith. I think Stevens shows that he could be a long-term prospect for the club, which is really good news. And I reckon Haywood and Florent have taken the next step in their maturity by playing different roles than just pop gun forward. So I, I think they leave the season, uh, not that it's over yet for them, because they can still make it, but I think they leave the season in better nick than they came into the season, which is saying something. Yep, a good night to be a swan, no doubt about that. All right, there's enough about Thursday night. Let's talk about what was a big game on Friday evening. 
All right, Friday night, this game was eagerly anticipated, uh, but in terms of a contest, it actually proved a bit of a fizzer, thanks to Geelong, because the Cats are in red-hot form at the moment, and they certainly franked their premiership credentials and perhaps cast a bit of doubt on the side they beat, which was Port Adelaide. 60 points in the end, the margin for the Cats. 14 goals, 7, 91. Cleaning up the power, a miserable 4-7-31 for them. And the goals, Tom Hawkins, one of the individual games of the season. He was a dynamo up forward, ended up with six goals. Three goals to Gary Rowan and singles the rest. Atkins, Fogarty, Guthrie, Henderson and Menegola. All single goal kickers for the power who were pretty hapless. And finally, this is a win. Again, uh, really set up in the opening salvos. Not necessarily reflected on the scoreboard as such early on. In fact, at halftime, the Cats' lead was only 15 points. But it felt like a long 15 points. And they just improved that the uh, further the game went on. And then the damn wall broke in the last quarter. Seven goals straight. I think that makes that the third highest scoring quarter by a side this season, holding the power to just a single goal. They had dominance everywhere. They ended up with 80 more disposals. They ended up with 70 more uncontested possessions. And that's a really significant stat, I think, because Port is seen as a good running team. Geelong can be seen as uh, a little bit slow on occasions and their ball movement can become a bit static. Well, they certainly fix that up. 70 more uncontested possessions. They um, won the contested possession count handsomely as well. And that's a stat Port usually does pretty well in. They had their defensive game honed to a tee. The one percenters actually, big gap in them too. 53 to 31, the one percenters. Marks inside 50, the biggest single discrepancy in this game, 18 to 2. Um, that gives you an idea of the difference in the potency of the forward lines. Uh, the Cats had Hawkins, they had Rowan, and the power had nothing. Charlie Dixon uh, very, very effectively held, and they really had no one else up there to take a grab. And the Cats had their best players all on song. Dangerfield, terrific. Cam Guthrie. Is having a fantastic season for Geelong, and he was on fire. Blitzars was good. Menegola was good. Mitch Duncan was good. And your man, Tom Stewart, finally, was very good. So you sit back and you go, does this result say more about Geelong or about Port Adelaide? What do you think? Uh, it says a hell of a lot about both of them, Rowan. And I reckon, you know, the only thing that Chris Scott would be concerned about at the end of the game would be, how do I bottle, distill, maintain, whatever, this, right through the finals to grand final day. Because if this was how Geelong, or if Geelong can play like this at the pointy end of the season, then they will record a famous premiership. They were fantastic in the wins over St Kilda and Geelong. And you know what it reminded me a bit of? You know when Richmond won that first breakout flag back in 2017, was it? Yep. Their three finals wins were almost identical, weren't they? they? They just replicated their form in terms of strangling a team in the first half, keeping the score down, then unleashing Dustin Martin halfway through the third. They had a blueprint and they absolutely stuck to it. And you know what? Geelong's blueprint in those two games was pretty similar 
and perfectly executed against two pretty good teams. You know, St Kilda are a top six team, maybe, probably, and, and Port were on top of the ladder. So we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about flexing your muscle against Adelaide. So I really think this shows Geelong at their very best. And as I observed after the game, you know, to have four players, not first or second year players, Tom Hawkins, Cam Guthrie, Sam Menegola, and Gary Rowan in what I think is career best form, well, that is saying something. It really shows that they are on the top of their game. They've got players to bring back, Ablett, Jack Stephen, maybe Dalhouse. Who knows? But I know this much. Be very wary of Geelong if they hold that form. And as for Port, well, they didn't match up. And as you observed, there was a, a lack of confidence and daring about them that almost was brought into the game. And an overly careful approach against a better opponent does not augur well for the finals. Because they only beat good teams if they play their best football, not their most conservative. No, no, I agree. Uh, if you think back to um, 2014, when they got very close to a grand final appearance in Ken Hinckley's what, uh, second, second season year. as coach, yep. uh, I remember that finals win over Fremantle in Perth. That's the sort of dare I think they would need to take into this final series. Geelong, absolutely no question if they play like that, they can beat any side. As we discussed, um, the doubt remains... Can they play to that level for three to four weeks in a row? Uh, which is why I think the next couple of weeks for them will be pretty significant because I want to see them do it for as many weeks as they would have to get through a final series. There's always been one week of the finals that brought them undone in recent years. That's the final hurdle for them. Get over that and I'll be convinced they are absolutely a bona fide flag chance. Um, Just on Tom Hawkins. Yeah. I had a game, uh, Tom Morgan's had a game back many years ago that I thought was one of the great games played by a forward that I've ever seen. It was against Brisbane in the absolute pouring rain and he dominated that game, kicked multiple. Do you remember that game up at the Gabba? Vaguely. Pouring and he was in a class of his own. I'll tell you what, in, in the current situation where forwards are not what they used to be scoring wise, his influence over that game, especially in the first half, was so dominant as to be highly memorable. Well done, Tom Hawkins. Yeah, uh, one of the, like I said, one of the great individual games of this season thus far and a fantastic win for the Cats. All right, uh, there's Thursday and Friday evening. Let's switch our attention to Saturday. Well, the Saturday menu kicked off with North Melbourne taking on Brisbane and uh, we did warn uh, it could be a case of avert your eyes now because it had slaughter written all over it. And as so often happens, Finey, it was the exact opposite of that. North gave a performance full of pluck and in the end, lost by only one point. Yeah, okay, the last goal was kicked after the final siren. But they pushed the Lions every inch of the way. The Lions, well below their best, just did enough to get over the line. In the end, 7-11-53 Brisbane, defeating the Roos, eight goals for 52. For the Lions, two goals to Lincoln McCarthy, two to Oscar McInerney, 
singles to McStay, Hipwood and Bailey. For the Roos, two to Nick Larkey, two to uh, Trist Tristan or Christian? Tristan Zeri, yep. two to Cam Zerha. And Zerha, of course, had a shot to get them within a kick about a minute and a half before the end, which he just pulled fractionally to the wrong side of the goalpost. I wonder what might have happened had he threaded that because they were coming big time at the end of that game. Um, really impressive performance, I thought, by the Roos, given how uh, abject they've been at times in recent weeks. Finally, what did you make of this game? Wasn't it wasn't a good by North Melbourne. They brought some youth into the team. Reece Shaw, there's that old soccer expression, you know, whether or not the manager has the has the um, the shed has the has the players. That's what they call it in soccer, you know, whether or not you have the the dressing room virtually. Oh, he's got them. They are playing for him, no question about it. Maybe they don't have quite the personnel, or they've uh, got now probably some senior players that need to be looked at but their young guys came and really had a nice red hot go right throughout the game brisbane they're going to pay a big price for their inaccuracy in front of goal against better teams they were you know one goal six you know into the second quarter but i'm talking about real gettable chances here bro and i'm not talking about Rush behinds. These these are misses after misses. You know their second goal came on the back of a Lockie Neal shot from 25 metres out that didn't make the distance. McInerney marked it and snapped a goal. But I'll tell you what, they've got no one you can rely on goal kicking wise. Honestly, well, their, their inaccuracy uh, played a big part in their defeat in uh, at least the semi final last year, and and certainly didn't help them make the most of their early dominance against Richmond in the qualifying final. So it has yeah. already cost them. Yep. Um, I'm not sure it's something that's so easily solved. I mean, it just, it seems completely contagious with them when a couple of guys miss early, they all get the disease. Yeah, it's, again, you can't really say that there's somebody in the team that's a terrible kick at goal, but they don't seem to be able to uh, nail their opportunities in front of goal. We'll say this, that their most dangerous forward is running on empty at the moment, Charlie Cameron. He was really ordinary. Missed a goal from 15 out after giving it to his opponent, giving it the, you know, got the got the ball and then sort of really got into his opponent's face. Um, I think it might have been McDonald. And then missed the goal, which, you know, Charlie, I'm not quite sure if his head's in the game or where it should be. ATM at the moment. Now, I'll say this about Brisbane. Uh, it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't a one-point game, as you said, but the kick after the siren maybe says that it was not as close as the nail-biting finish the result says. That's not true. They were not in control of that game, Rowan. They really never, ever took the stranglehold they could have. You know, at the start of the third quarter, they traded a goal each, these two teams. And then North could not really get the ball forward and score. But Brisbane, likewise, just, they've lost their, they, they seem to temporarily have lost their ability to sort of get that dash and run through the midfield. Now, I know Daniel Rich is a big loss for them because it, they seemingly, without Daniel Rich, are very slow out of the back line as well. A lot of tripping the ball around, a lot of conservative play. Mitch Robinson not as good as he was earlier on in the season. So 
The good news is they're still winning. The concern is that this season is truncated. We're not, in terms of days, we're not uh, that far away from the finals. And this will not, you know, to quote the dude from the Big Lebowski, this, you know, it will not abide. This will not stand as finals football. At the moment, Brisbane are way off. So they play St Kilda next week. We'll see how they prefer playing at the Gabba. They need to start finding their best football because they're going to lose. They're not going to be within catching up distance of the Tigers, the Eagles and the Cats of this world. Well, you mentioned Charlie Cameron. Uh, the thing that struck me most about him was the amount of strapping he had around that knee. So yeah, yeah. Um, it, it looks like that is really inhibiting him, if not physically, then at least psychologically. He seemed very, very conscious of it, I thought. Uh, just a quick word on the Ruse. Um, there's definitely light on the uh, horizon for them, I think. I think people get way too carried away when a, a team loses a few games badly. One guy who's starting just bit by bit to get a bit more confidence in his game and capacity to bust a game open or bust a contest open is uh, Luke Davies Uniac. I think we saw a bit more of that from him. But I wanted to give a shout out particularly to Jai Simpkin, who has been around the traps for a bit now, but he has really taken the chance to become a you know number one sort of midfielder for his side yeah. and grabbed it with both hands. And he's been consistently good all year. In fact, I could be wrong, but I reckon he'd have to be very close to leading their BNF at the moment. Thought he was probably their best again uh, in that game. Yeah, along with Todd Goldstein, who's also having a terrific season. Yeah, I thought he might have been ahead in their BNF. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe. But Simkin would be right up there. And, um, you know, Davies Uniac, uh, Larky, I think, you know, we're just seeing... We're seeing them build bit by bit, not not as rapidly as some other young stars, but it's you not know really upset me for them. Yeah, Mason Wood. Just yeah. in that last quarter, oh gee, he's he he is um, for the ability that I thought he had. He's turned out to be a disappointment, actually. Yeah, he has, and uh, I tweeted something to that effect, and then um, discarded a tweet. I don't know why, I just chickened out, but I felt exactly the same thing. Um, he's, I think the time's just about run out for Mason Wood. They would have every right, I think, to be clearing the books of him come the end of his season because he just hasn't delivered often enough. But look, it's not all gloom and doom for North. I don't, well, think, I don't think they have to go back to the drawing board and start it all again. Um, and that's often, not often the way that clubs end up achieving success anyway. I think the Basic building blocks are there. All right, so that is the end of that one. A narrow victory to Brisbane. Let's talk about the second game on Saturday. Well, this is a game in which the stakes were fairly high for either side, um, and it didn't produce a tight result. It produced another blowout, but a very, very impressive performance by the victor. That was Melbourne who smashed Collingwood in the end by 56 points, 16 goals for 100 to Collingwood's 6-8-44. For the Demons, three goals to Charlie Spargo, two to Wiedemann, two to Langdon, two to Fritsch, two to Melksham, singles to Brayshaw, Pickett, McDonald, Petrarca and Sparrow. Ten individual goal kickers, always a good barometer of a good goal kicking spread. 
And for the Pies, only one multiple goal kicker. That was Ben Reid, who ended up being one of the uh, the bad news stories of this game for the Pies, limping off in the third quarter with a hamstring injury. i got to say, at this stage, without having seen an update, I reckon it's doubtful we will ever see Ben Reid play AFL football again after that. And, of course, the other one for them, Brody Majacek, what looked like a really bad concussion. He got the bejesus knocked out of him by Aaron Vandenberg. No malice in it, just two guys going in different directions. And Brody, unfortunately, bore the brunt of Vandenberg's body weight, taken off on a stretcher. And that was the end of their forward line as a functioning uh, tool for scoring. And it looked like it too, because they got the ball in there enough but they couldn't do anything with it finally. They uh, were pretty abject up forward. And I thought their midfield got beaten as well. In fact, it was a real struggle finding good players to the Pies. Adams had a crack. Sidebottom had a crack. Pendlebury was okay in his first game back. But uh, the fact was the Demons had the superior midfielders. Brayshaw, I thought outstanding for them. Petrarca, 24 touches, a class act. All of them used beautifully. Clayton Oliver, and a lot's been said about this, but he is using the ball so much more intelligently now. He ended up with 25 touches. Ed Langdon, good drive off a wing and a couple of goals for him. And Christian Salem, often underrated for the Ds with that uh, rebound that he gets off half-back. But uh, they were incredibly efficient. This is a side that for the last two years now has won heaps of inside 50s, but had a chronic inability to do anything with them. Well, it was completely the reverse in this game, finally. They uh, made the most use of their inside 50s. In fact, they ended up going in terms of scores from inside 50s at about 50%. So a stunning conversion rate, really. And they had plenty of flow. They linked up well. Um, they ran Collingwood into the ground and they were hard at it on the inside. And all this without Max Gorn. So they are now inside the eight demons. And uh, from looking... Yeah, pretty like it was going to be a pretty long and unsuccessful year. They have turned their situation around dramatically over the last few weeks. Uh, full credit to them for that. You know, at three-quarter time against Adelaide, which was, what, three games ago? Um, yeah. They were staring into the abyss. They were only one or two goals up. And they really were. If they would have lost that game, there would be no coming back for them or for their coach, I reckon. They had a great last quarter against Adelaide and springboarded that success into a very good win against North Melbourne, was it? And then now with a full team, Bar Max gone, they looked really menacing against Collingwood. I cannot speak highly enough of the improvement of Sam Wiedemann this year. He, I think he's kicked multiple goals in seven of eight games, which is great, but he's not kicked bags, what he has done is he's become a very real target with a decent pair of hands and a reliable contest that means at the drop of the ball, menacing players, and I'll use that word because that's what Kaziah Pickett is, he's, he'd have any backman looking over his shoulder, even though I'm not sure Cosy quite knows what he's going to do when he gets a ball yet. Uh, other very good sort of... Um, complementary type players that can work from the midfield forward. As you know, Petrarca knows how to get a goal. Langdon showed that he knows how to get a goal, which was very handy. Bailey Fritch, 
smart mid-sized forward. Uh, all of a sudden, it makes sense. Now, I'm not saying that this is permanent. They've played the two bottom teams, or North Melbourne bottom-ish, and uh, Collingwood with a, a lot of players and with, that, with their two key forwards going down. What Melbourne need to do is, even when they play better teams and it gets tougher, not to go into their shell, because the key to this win was their attacking brand of football, wasn't it? Was their ability to take the game on, to combine... Their problem had been that they, they were playing on at all costs and they were turning the ball over. So this needs to be... What, what they've developed now is a more level-headed... When I say take the game on, take the game on face value. Take the game and the time clock and where the ball is on the field Take all of that into, into consideration before automatically just handball, handball, handball. And you've seen the change in Clayton Oliver. You've seen the change in Brayshaw. You've seen the better output from those players. And the, what a difference that makes. Consider the ball usage. And you know what? Melbourne are starting to look like Melbourne of two years ago, not Melbourne of last year. So a, a quick turnaround. We'll see how they go against better teams. Well, we talked, uh, final word on Collingwood, we talked before about GWS having a big challenge to stay in the eight. The Pies are exactly in the same boat. They are seventh. They're in by uh, half a game at the moment. But um, the injury list, it, it just, it doesn't abate for them. And uh, now you can add um, Majacek, at least for next week, to that read. So you're taking out a forward option. Goey and how we think will probably miss the rest of the year. So there's a key player at either end. Trawar, of course, key midfielder. Who knows uh, when he comes back? That appears to be a serious injury too. Roughhead will return. That was a concussion. But they are just missing too many key players at the moment. And whilst they did that in 2018 and were still able to get to a grand final and obviously come within a minute or so of winning it, uh, the injuries this season seem to be more pivotal for some reason. Rowan, GWS, Toby Green, Collingwood, Jordan Dugowie. In reality, neither of those forward lines are, well, they can make the finals, but neither of them are top four forward lines or premiership threatening forward lines without those two Ps. Now, Toby Green will come back for GWS. They've got other problems. Without Jordan Dugowie, Look, Ben Reid, I feel sorry for him, but, you know, I mean, he's, how much football has he played in the last three or four years? So you couldn't have banked on him realistically. My check provides good hustle-bustle work, but without Dugowie, it, there's not enough danger there for the opposition back line. It's easily circumvented. So, yeah, the, the day they lost Dugowie, I think, was the day they lost their chance at a flag. And it appears for a team like Collingwood... Once that reality sinks in, then they tend to go to, you know, they bottom out pretty quickly, don't they? Yep. Uh, they have got enormous obstacles ahead of them. All right. That was the second game on Saturday. One left in the uh, day's program. And wow, what a finish this was. Let's talk about it now. Well, years from now, I think we'll still be seeing replays of the last minute or so or last 30 seconds at least of this game because so much happened in so short a space of time. And in the end, in fact, Carlton did this to Fremantle last year in Perth, pinched a win right at the death. Well, in even more spectacular fashion this time, the Blues 
Four-point victors over the Dockers. Five goals, 10-40. That's one of the lowest winning scores you're ever going to see. Defeating Fremantle, five goals, six, 36. Uh, for the Blues, all single goal kickers. Casbolt, Cottrell, Walsh, Mackay and Nunes, the big one and the match winner. For the Dockers, three goals to Matt Tabata. Good target up forward. Although, again, pivotal, not in a good way in that finish. Frederick and Lobb, their only other goal kickers. Well, do have to feel sorry for the Dockers to an extent. They went, that must have led this game for 99% or close to it. Three goals up at the first break, two goals up at halftime. Um, the Blues coming in the third quarter, but the Dockers still in front. And then what was a goalless final term for both sides until after the siren. And uh, if you're one of the few people listening to this that hasn't seen that last minute of play, Michael Walters cleared the decks for the Dockers. Matt Tabiner could have taken the ball near the boundary line and just kicked it forward. And that was the win, but he chose to tap it. He was penalised for deliberate out of bounds, probably correctly. Uh, Sam Doherty was then allowed to run on from the mark and gain another 10 metres. He was collected by, I think it was Andrew Brayshaw, as, as he kicked the ball. Uh, the free kick downfield, and there was a lot of confusion about that. I must say, I was a bit confused about what the rule was there, but the free kick relayed downfield. It appears after a viewing that uh, the Blues were able to crib about another 10 metres from where the ball crossed the boundary line and perhaps had the wrong player taking the shot. It was... Michael Gibbons, who was closest to where that ball went out. But it was Jack Nunes who took the kick. The tightest of angles had to deal with a photographer and a security bloke and a bunch of TV cables before he even negotiated the shot. And when that was going on, I thought, wow, this is going to be one of the great all-time efforts if you can nail this. But nail it, he did. That kick straight onto the podium, finally. Uh, I think that has to go behind only Malcolm Blight and Gary Bacanara for match-winning kicks after the siren, given the degree of difficulty. Unbelievable kick, and the Blues got away with the points. What would you make of it all? Okay, just a, a couple of things. First of all, for Fremantle supporters, ruining that final series of umpiring decisions, let's just go through them. First of all, you got two goals in the first quarter of bad umpiring decisions. So in a low-scoring game, you know, you've got to accept that a couple of those goals in the first quarter were poor free kicks. Next, <laughs> there was a claim that um, Liam Jones threw the ball to... Who did he let want to take Eddie, that kick? Eddie Betts. Uh, that's irrelevant because the ball was brought back. Yeah. So I don't know why Freo people are talking about that. That's silly. That wasn't that was not allowed to be play on, whether it was a throw, a handball, or a, you know, a, a, how's your uncle? So forget that one. That free kick against Tabiner, excellent free kick. I don't know why he did that. Why well, he should have you should have taken the ball and kicked just it. Just grab grab the ball. If you got tackled, it goes out of bounds. Yeah. Or if you kick it, game's over. It was a real abrogation of responsibility. So good free kick, I thought. Which he then um, compounded by not standing the mark and allowing Doherty to get another 10 metres. Correct. The free kick against Bradshaw, I wouldn't have paid. I thought that was pretty tough. But the bad umpiring, 
was where the free kick was taken from and who took it, especially because Gibbons had the ball in his hand and he, he said it was my kick. And one umpire actually made a point of saying, no, it's not yours, it's Nunes. Now, why would you say that when it's completely wrong? You know, that is some sort of guesswork. There was an umpire who actually took the ball out of the right person's hands and handed it to somebody else. Based on what, mate? What did well, you see that made you do that? Well, I've got to say, I'll be completely honest here. When I saw it was Nunes, I thought he had one in a hundred chance because my you've watched a lot more of him than me, but my experience of him isn't of him being a terrific kid. No, not a bad set shot. Sorry, uh, bit of microphone problems there. Uh, he's not a bad set shot. I gave him a chance. He's a nice set shot, Jack News. He showed after half time. He's not a great shot on the run, Mister. Bad, bad miss. How about that? <laughs> he missed an absolute sitter early in the second half. In fact, his kicking at the start of the third quarter was terrible. But you know what? The game doesn't end there. And more power to him. Well done, Jack Nunes. As far as the game's concerned, I was very curious to the coaching of Justin Longmuir. Why did he not play in that third quarter when Carlton started dominating around the stoppages. Why did he leave five forward for the whole quarter? I found that very unusual. That's uh, a fair point. It's a fair I, point. I, I couldn't work it out. You know, Fife imposes himself on games of football. And I think really he had probably enough, in, in a game like that, he has enough quality to maybe decide the issue. Now that last quarter, what a weird quarter football, because it, it really looked like no goals was going to be enough for Fremantle to win it. That being said, I don't know. You've got to sort of admire Carlton for, and I think they've got a lot of players that battle, to be honest, but you've really got to admire them for not throwing in the towel. Now, we've said that they're susceptible to having goals kicked against them, and that's in a very strange game of football. You see it poured in the first half, and as the weather got drier, the scoring got less. A really weird game of football. But one thing Freo didn't do was exploit Carlton's um, fragility of conceding goals. And, and you know what? If you don't score, then don't complain when you lose the game on the siren. Because I think Freo would consider themselves to have sat on their lead or just not... I don't think they took the game by the scruff of the neck when they had the players to do so. And, you know, they should have made more of their advantages during the game. So, well done, Carlton, but Freo. You know, I was on WA Radio this morning, Rowan, and a good observation by the host, and that is they're a very different team when they're in front than to when they're behind Fremantle. And there is a different psychology in football, chasing down the score. And I, at the moment, I don't think they know how to develop a lead very well. Well, I hope they're not developing a tendency which sort of emerged under Ross Lyon. And that was, I remember the one period under Ross Lyon where they really did sort of spread their wings and throw caution to the winds was early in, I think, 2017. And uh, they brought a, a group of youngsters into that side and they started playing with a lot more dash and dare. Had a great win over Melbourne at the MCG. And then yep. as soon as they started winning games, they went back to that conservatism. I hope yep. this hasn't happened... I hope winning a few games and becoming a more legitimate threat 
hasn't made them overly cautious. And I guess that's a possibility under a fairly new coach still trying to stake his claim on this team. As to the Blues... Just, say, just one thing on Fremantle. Yeah. They did have the best player on the ground. Yeah. I hope Luke Ryan is all Australian this year. Uh, yep, yep, very good. He always is very good. One thing I'd say about the Blues, even in their darkest days when they've been struggling to win games, and I'm talking seasons ago, they have had these great backs-to-the-wall wins on the road and, and um, you know, when, when the odds have been completely against them. Uh, they've had a number of these wins and the spirit in that playing list, uh, even in their darkest periods, I think, has remained pretty good. And a bit of an example to a couple of other uh, clubs, one of whom I follow in terms of the playing group staying tight and uh, being able to lift in difficult situations. So hats off to them. It was a fantastic win and they'll get a lot of confidence from that. And as well, uh, you know, they're half a game outside the eight. So still a sneaky finals chance for them. Yep. All right. That is Saturday's football. Let's talk about Sunday. Well, this one was expected to be a rout, uh, and it was in the finish. Took a while to become a rout, though. Really entertaining first quarter of the Western Bulldogs Adelaide game. Ten goals kicked in total. Six to the Doggies, four to the Crows, who, after getting blown away early, fought back pretty well in that first quarter. But eventually, uh, the Bulldogs got a hold of them. Four goals each in the third and fourth quarters to uh, just three for the half of the Crows. And in the end, the Bulldogs 57-point victors, 16-15, 111 to Adelaide, 8 goals, 6, 54. Significant name among the goal kickers, Aaron Norton with six. Uh, terrific game, outstanding in that first quarter. Or was it three or four goals he kicked in that first term? Uh, two to Montempelli, two to Kavara, singles to Dale, Lloyd, Hunter, Dunkley and McLean and English. All single goal kickers for the Crows. Stengel, Walker, Himmelberg, Murphy, Smith, East Malvern's finest mullet. Terrific game from him today. Laird, uh, sorry, wrong Smith. But the uh, <laughs> Bailey Smith was very good too. Laird, McKay and Matt Crouch. Uh, give us a potted summary of this one, Finey. Uh Look, Adelaide kicked the last three goals. As you said, they showed a bit of pluck in the first quarter pulling back from an early dousing by the dogs. And in between, Adelaide did not fire a single shot. They were just sort of standing there. You know, Muhammad Ali's rope-a-dope? I think they're trying to play rope-a-dope football. Just let the opposition get tired by attacking and kicking goals and running back to the centre. Oh, boy. I mean, Adelaide, ask me your weekly question. I'll give you my weekly answer. Will Adelaide win a game this year? Nope. Yep, they're not going to win a game this year. They really... Look, Taylor Walker is got no place on a football field. I don't know what's happened to him in the last few weeks. He was good against St Kilda. He always is. He was so bad. He doesn't even go for the ball. It sort of hits him occasionally. It's terrible. It's terrible to see. You know, they had a... Tom Lynch wasn't playing, so... Their forward line, and they dropped Fogarty. He hasn't worked out for them. So, you know, they, see, they've got some players out there, Rowan. Mm-mm-mm. Not quite re- ready for league football. Will never be ready for league football. That being said, 
the Bulldogs. Bontempelli was superb. Oh, boy, is he in precious form. You know, forward or midfield. Norton, much better having Norton than Josh Bruce. Just the, the sort of movement of Norton and the, um, uh, the, the attack on the ball is far more far more uh, productive forward line-wise than sort of Josh Bruce, who, who unfortunately, when not only not scoring, was getting a little bit pantsed by his opponent. Look, Mitch Wallace was inaccurate today. It's funny. They kicked 16-4, didn't they? No. Oh, I thought, they, oh, no, Melbourne kicked 16 They kicked 16-15. 16-15. Now, that makes more sense because Wallace was very inaccurate. Uh, Bailey Smith was very good. Um, might have seen mark of the year. I reckon pretty close. By the old, the former captain, Wood, Eastern Wood. Did you see that, Mark? I didn't. Yeah, mark of the year, I reckon. Just a beautiful classic. And it was over like a Mackesy. So Mackesy's about six foot three or six foot four. It was a beautiful knee on the shoulder. A real classic jazzer. Great mark by Eastern Wood. Uh, all in all, the Bulldogs, you know, unfortunately, you know what, Roman, you can't really count much in these games v Adelaide. They are so far adrift from any other team in terms of compet- being sort of um, scoreboard competitive that you only say that this may be, it was a good percentage pickup. You know, the last three goals to Adelaide would have annoyed Luke Beveridge and an opportunity for players to um, hone their, you know, to, to sharpen their talons a bit, you know, a bit of an easy kill. I will say this, Caleb Daniel, doesn't matter who he plays, he's in, he's in precious form as well. He's playing beautifully. Well, it probably furthers that perception developing about the dogs this year, which is they're, I hate to say, flat track bullies. They're very good at beating up on sides they should beat. Uh, but uh, found wanting up against better quality opposition. So, um, and that's true. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's their percentage. Uh, their percentage is an interesting one relative to the Giants. They're uh, almost level with the Giants on percentage. So that last spot in the eight could come down to a battle between those two and their percentage. Yep. Um, I think their best is is great, attractive, fast footy, which may be the sort of footy that prevails, I think, at the end of the year. But uh, until they can jag a quality win against a, a more favoured team, I think there's going to be plenty of scepticism about them. And the Crows, well, I keep saying they will win a game, but I must admit that's far more out of a hunch than expectation now because it's really hard to see where it's going to come from. And look, they had moments, uh, passages of play. In fact, there was a passage of play finally in the first quarter uh, for the Crows, which ended in a goal to... I'm just trying to remember... Oh, a goal to Lockie Murphy. And that was a terrific bit of play. They linked up beautifully out of defence, a series of handballs and overlaps, and uh, Murphy nailed the shot. So, you know, it's not like they're incapable of playing decent footy, but, boy, they make some basic errors and kick-ins being intercepted and turned over for goals, stuff like that. Uh, I really hope Matthew Nix is able to sort of you know, just work on that confidence and cohesion with another, well, the rest of this season and another pre-season under his belt. Uh, one word answer, Finey. Can the Bulldogs do any damage in the finals if they make it? 
No, not on exposed form. Uh, not, not on today. On today, you'd say they could do whatever they want, but this doesn't prove anything. So we have to refer to the season's performances where they come up short against better opposition. So today, it, today doesn't add to that, give anybody any further intel to answering that question. But previously, the answer was no, so it remains no. Uh, I'll say yes, but only for a week. Uh, I couldn't see them being able to string it together throughout a finals campaign. Nevertheless, a convincing win for them today. Uh, all right, one game down on Sunday. Let's talk about the second. Well, this was it, finally. The battle of our respective teams. And uh, I must admit, I had a sense of foreboding about this one uh, when game time emerged or crept closer. And uh, that foreboding was fully realised as uh, my Dons went down very convincingly to your Saints by 35 points. St Kilda, 10 goals, 8-68, defeating a very lacklustre Essendon, 5 goals, 3-33. Three, three. Uh, three goals for the victors to Max King, very impressive, particularly early. Two to Membry, singles to Battle, Butler, Hind, Loney and Ryder. All single goal kickers saw the Bombers, Begley, Langford, McDonald, Tippenwoody, Saad and Townsend, a win again set up in the first term. Uh, St Kilda leading by 28 points at the first change. Could have been closer to seven goals, finally. Four goals, four to a paltry one goal straight, which Essendon had only doubled come halftime. Two goals straight, so 12 scoring shots to two at the halftime break. The margin stayed thereabouts afterwards, but uh, Essendon probably lucky they didn't lose this one by a fair bit more. For anybody who watched that second half, there's an hour and a bit we will never get back. Talk about a terrible second half of football. After Essendon kicked the first two goals after half time, looked actually a little bit lively. McDonald, Tip and Woody had a very good 10 minutes and they had a, apparently a different approach to the game. And then something really bad happened for Essendon. They got the ball about the halfback flank and for the next three minutes, they just kicked it to each other. Now, it was surrender by their own doing. It didn't make any sense. They'd they'd obviously scored two goals by um, pressing St Kilda with what Essendon has, which is a little bit of pace. Uh, And that goal by Saad exposed St Kilda a little bit off that half-back line and showed a bit of fragility there. But then, by their own doing, Essendon reverted to the very worst football they played in the first half and simply were not willing when they had the... You see, what, I'm, what they did was they, they, they're transferring the ball from one wing or one flank to the other. And it's the person who gets that ball on the outside that has to make the decision to go quickly and take the game on or cowardly. The coward's approach is to send it back from whence it came. Now, when you do that three or four times, the opposition, you know what the opposition says, Rowan? That we've got this game won because this team's not going to take us on in a meaningful manner. So the rest of the game played out in a fairly boring way. The first half, St Kilda was good with Josh Battle. I thought was excellent. Both ends of the ground had a very good second quarter. He intercepted a terrible kick from Bagley in the back line. 
and kicked a goal, but most of his good work was back at centre. The two Ruckman worked very well for St Kilda. In fact, in that third quarter, any challenge by Essendon was snuffed out by their former big man rider. Beautiful goal. He kicked some beautiful ruck work and intercept marking off the halfback flank. Rowan Marshall was good. King good early. When he puts it together, he'll be something special. But at the moment, he's not, to be honest. For Essendon, I'll tell you what was disappointing today for Essendon, Rowan. First bad game of the year for Ridley. He was out of sorts. Normally very good. But uh, a couple of guys played all right for Essendon. Otherwise, Bubkas. All right. Well, my patience officially ran out today, Finey. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw it, but uh, after the game, I tweeted as follows. In 50 years of following Essendon, can't remember too many times I've felt more disillusioned. Not nearly good enough. Not nearly hurt enough by being crap. Just entrenched mediocrity in every conceivable department and delusions that it's something else. Piss poor. Uh, that tweet now has 637 likes in an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. Well, I am speaking for a. I, I hope someone from Essendon does hear this because I think I'm right in saying I'm speaking for a large percentage of the supporter base, which after two decades of sustained mediocrity is bloody sick to death of it. And they're sick of being told to be patient, that we're, uh, the list is developing. It's not, guys. It's never going to be a list good enough to even come close to winning a premiership. I think it's a list which would struggle to even win a final. So it's no great surprise that they haven't won one since 2004. And there's been false dawns. Uh, they've topped up with senior players from other clubs, most of whom have been good value. But if that's to uh, supplement the rest of a senior 22 that isn't good enough, it ends up setting you back. It's easy to be wise in hindsight. I think the biggest shortfall at Essendon for a long time now has been both the recruiting and the development. I think they've both been very deficient. Ask, ask yourself this question, Essendon supporters. Name one champion player that the Essendon Football Club has produced of its own volition since 2000. Well, I can think of one, Joe Watson. And he was a father-son who they had first dibs on anyway. Who's the next best player Essendon's produced in that time? It's probably Dyson Heppel. Danaher, another father-son. And he's done it for five minutes in the context of 20 years. It's probably Dyson Heppel, who, as good as he is, is also not a superstar. Essendon's recruiting has been consistently substandard and its development of the young players it has drafted has been absolutely mediocre. And I think this is a club that is far too satisfied with far too little in terms of what it produces on the field. And I just went through the 20 and I was able to find in 10 seconds, six blokes, seven blokes in that side, who any of whom, if you are playing them in your best 22, you are not anywhere near a premiership side. I'm not going to bother naming them because I think I've uh, dug the boots in enough now, but it's fair to say I'm pretty pissed off with my club. And before anything positive happens there, there needs to be a massive reality check about where that club is in terms of, of power, because it's not. All right, so people will say this, Rowan. Not playing today was Danaher. Now, let me go through the list. Danaher, Heppel, Fantasia, Hooker, um, Stringer. Stringer, 
Laverty, then I guess the others, you know, I mean, they're sort of rested or omitted anyhow. I mean, Devin Smith has not had a good year. He's, his head's not been in the game, but he didn't play. Mason Redmond, um, Bell Chambers, you know, you could have played them if you wanted to. So uh, that's a pretty good list of players. The problem is, of course, Danaher has barely played in the last two years and wanted out anyhow. Fantasia hasn't played a lot. Where's his future? Um, Heppel, another player whose injuries, even though this is a different injury, he's been really stymied, hasn't he? Hooker, well, you can tell me whether his best football is ahead or behind him. Well, it's way behind him. He's, yeah. he's struggled for thought. a while now. That's what I would have thought. Stringer, the big loss. No question, Stringer's been an enormous loss because he's the sort of forward that makes defenders nervous. Um, Sorry, I just want to, yeah, you, everything you're saying is right. I just want to pick you up on one name there, and it's Laverde. Yeah, yeah, Laverde. Now, if, you, if you're counting on him to be a guy that makes a big difference to your lineup, you're struggling. No, because no, no, no. He, he's had a lot of injuries. Yes, I'll give you that. But in terms of what he's actually shown at the level, it's nothing more than glimpses. And this is a problem with Essendon. As soon as a young player uh, on that list produces something, he gets way overhyped. You know, there are so many younger players on lists with less experience than Laverde who have produced so much more. Uh, look, one guy's finally, I think, starting to get it together, and I am a fan, he's Langford. But, you know, Kyle is never going to be a match winner for us, and he's going to be a good, solid player. He right now is probably in their best five players. You know, you're nowhere near good enough if that's the case. And look, I'm angry, but this is this is a lot more. This is about a lot more than just this current list. This is about a whole club culture, and I think it's incredibly deficient. So here's what here's what from an outsider, what is most puzzling, knowing that outsiders, Rowan, have always seen Essendon as a powerful team, as a you know, as a side that is never to be taken lightly because historically, you know, certainly in the last quarter of a century, 30 years, Essendon has had the ability to be the best team in this competition. And quick turnaround, you know, the baby bombers just appeared and there's just been this sense. And then, you know, they're like Carlton, they're the equal leading premiership winners. So here's what shocks me about Essendon. How, and things went really south in that third quarter after the first two goals. They show Worsfold, and he's in discussion with Rutten as though it's some sort of interesting ongoing project that, they, you know, that the present doesn't seem to hold any interest to John Worsfold. He seems to be counselling, either sitting there on his own or counselling Ben Rutten about what to do in the future. And the fact is... You've got now, mate. I mean, football fans, and you are 100% correct, because I've gone through this most of my life with St Kilda. Uh, football fans of teams that have not had success recently are not looking to next year, three years, or the Ron Barassi five-year plan. It's do something now, mate, because they're sitting me now, mate. If all the Essendon supporters are at home hating what they're seeing... How comes the coach is so comfortable just sitting there, you know, 
discussing matters with Rutten as though it's an interesting, something interesting to observe. Yeah, well, there was also a scene of him walking off after the game smiling, which I know upset a lot of Essendon supporters, and uh, you can overdo that thing, but there's a time and a place, I guess, very quickly, because we've spent too long on this game, and that's my fault. Apologies. I got a bit wound up. Uh, How far can the Saints go? No, not too far. Not, Not this year. But they can certainly take... I'd love them to have two finals. You know, I think that's that gives them a couple of cracks at the top end. I, I would hate them to finish in the bottom half of the eight and just get knocked out. So if they finish in the bottom half, win one and play a good team and see what that tastes like. Because, you know, they got taught a bit of a lesson by Geelong, but so too early in the year by Collingwood. And they bounced back from that. They got a big game against Brisbane. Essendon was no test. And there's still some problems there with that team. It was good to see Ross, and I thought Zach Jones played well as well back in the side. So, yeah, we'll wait and see. I, they're certainly not in the top brackets in Kilda, but they'll get a lot out of this year if they play one of those top bracket teams in a final. All right, uh, good win, 35 points to the Saints. Uh, one more game left for the weekend, of course, one to come Monday night. Let's talk about the last game on Sunday. And the final game of the Sunday component of round 12 came over in Perth between West Coast and Hawthorne, those great rivals of the early 90s. And uh, not much of a great uh, rivalry in this game because West Coast took the points very, very comfortably, pretty predictably, you'd have to say. 32-point victory to the Eagles. 12 goals, 9, 81, defeating the Hawks, 7-7. 49. Uh, the goals reasonably shared around. Three to Kennedy, three to Ryan, two to Darling. For the Hawks, only seven goals for them. Gunston, the only multiple goal kicker for them. West Coast had good players all over the park. Andrew Gaff playing some terrific footy at the moment. 34 disposals for him. Luke Sherry picked up 24. Brad Shepard picked up 22 and kicked a goal too. And didn't his teammates absolutely love that? He's a very, very popular player over there. For the Hawks, Tom Mitchell, 34 disposals for him. 27 to both O'Meara and Warple. Liam Shields, 25. But uh, as you might guess from those particular individuals, plenty of the footy. The Hawks, they finished about even with the Eagles for disposals. But uh, as is becoming a bit of a recurring theme for the Hawks, finally, they just don't do enough constructive with the ball when they get their hands on it. And they were pretty easily beaten. The Eagles, 3-4 by quarter time to no score. Six goals to two at half time. 11 to five goals at three-quarter time. All over, she wrote, and the last quarter. Just wasted everyone's time, pretty much. What'd you make of this one, Forney? That, that game was as predictable as an episode of Columbo. You know I mean? Remember Columbo? I do. I loved Columbo. Yeah. 55 minutes of a bemused cross-eyed twit walking around in a, in a in an overcoat and five minutes at the end of the episode where he works everything out, sort of the, the last sentence before he leaves the episode disgraced and sacked. Oh, just one thing. Anyhow, that was predictable and so was this game. And the predictability came in, no matter what effort Hawthorne put in getting the ball forward, it would have had to treble, quadruple 
the West Coast effort efforts in getting the ball forward, because really Hawthorne's forward line is probably one third of that of the quality of West Coast, and that's how it played out. Liam Ryan, a couple of great marks early that put the game almost beyond Hawthorne's reach. Kennedy kicked a pretty similar goal to Nunes, actually, from the boundary, by the way. Um, just a little bit of quality up forward. Cripps um, sort of bobbing up. And Hawthorne don't have that. They, they simply do not have a forward. They've got a forward line with a couple of um, old favourites in in Bruce and Gunston, but easily held by a pretty strong West Coast back line. The game was played in Perth, but that didn't matter. Hawthorne, are, we're talking about two very different commodities here, aren't we? One team is eyeing off a premiership, and another team is eyeing off trade week and the draft, and probably the next looking two or three years ahead. So it played out predictably. A bit of credit to Hawthorne's midfield in getting their hands on the ball and not allowing Nat Nui to dominate by dint of um, clearance. So well done there, Hawthorne, but not in the not in the ball game. Never was going to be. And for West Coast, well, they had to win this game. They got one more game in Perth, and then they go back to where it all started a bit sort of thornily for them in Queensland. So uh, tick one box. Who do they play next week? Their last game in Perth. Doesn't really matter. They'll win it. And then they head over to Brisbane. Yeah, well, obviously that's going to pretty much make or break them. I think uh, I think we... No, it's probably a bit different this year, but we do tend as a rule to think the Eagles to be a flag chance need to get that home final advantage and double chance that comes with the top four spot. Currently fourth, um, they'd certainly be hoping to hang on to that. And uh, just very quickly, finally, before we move on to our preview, the remaining game of round 12, in order, your top three flag fancies. See, that's interesting. To, to just give us a day. You don't have to give us a reasoning. Just I'm give thinking us about terms. no. I'm thinking because I've got. All right, well, I'll give you mine. Yeah, go I'm, first. Go I am going one Richmond, two West Coast, three Geelong. I'm going one West Coast, two Richmond, three Geelong. All right. Um, well, we, only because only because I've got a little concern about Richmond making the top four. Yeah, well, that's like, like I'm saying, top four is going to be pretty critical, as it always is. All right, there are eight of the nine games in round 12 reviewed. One to come on Monday night. Time to talk about that now in previews with Punch. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Okay, one game left to complete round 12, and it happens on Monday evening at the Gabba, 7.10 local time between Richmond and Gold Coast, each side making three changes for this game. Richmond bringing back skipper Trent Cotchen. Jack Graham comes back into the lineup, as well as Oleg Markov. And out of the side, all I admitted are Caddy, Egmolesi, Smith, and Ross. Gold Coast uh, bring in some, uh, well, a bit of experience. Alex Sexton returns, Nick Holman, and Caleb Graham returning to the Suns lineup. Out though. 
fair bit of experience by the Sun standards. Harbrow, Lemons and Swallow, all managed. Uh, interesting finding because I must say, I look at those outs for the Suns and think, oh, you guys are giving this game up. Uh, you don't expect to win and you're not going to have a crack at winning. You're going to rest three guys that probably need a bit of a spell and just hope you can minimise the damage. Am I being a bit unfair? Gee, that is very harsh, Rowan. Absolutely accurate. Completely correct. You know, they... they <laughs> serious? Swallow's been fantastic, actually, the last few weeks. I think he's, he's playing as well as he has, ever has. But desperately need his solid body and experience in the midfield. No, no question. Harbrow was well off the back line. I guess... Uh, you look at the fixture and you sort of say, they teams used to do this when they went down to uh, Geelong. A few sides just went there with no real heart for the contest. It was all too much for them. I've got a feeling, not saying that they're not going to try, but they're certainly um, storing, they're going to try and win some games later in the year so they don't fall off the face of the earth. And I don't think they think they can win this one. As for Richmond, well, uh, I you know, they they could they could play Swallow, they could play his brother Andrew Swallow, they could they could play anybody they've ever had on their list. They're not gonna be Richmond. Because the Tigers, even though they didn't do well in that last quarter last week, they're still tracking pretty well, I reckon. Yeah, disappointing uh, by the Suns. I mean and and the bottom line here is we talk about their resilience and they're more competitive and there's no doubt about that. I mean they've their last four games, they haven't won one, but they've drawn one and lost two others by four points and five points. However, the bottom line is that of their last seven games, they have only won one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they need a win. And, um, and look, it's been a tough schedule. Obviously, they know how their senior players are tracking and obviously couldn't avoid giving them a spell. But it really does... Yeah, it, it does say we're not going to win this. We know we're not going to win this game. So uh, let's give it's them a spell a this week. It's been a better schedule for them than just about anybody else, though. Yeah, they're, well... They're the, they're the ones at home hosting teams. They're not the ones a million miles away from home. Right? And, and having a look at their side, you would have thought Noah Anderson needed a break. Yeah. Right? And a couple of others. One thing that has gone well for them is their back line this year. Yeah. It'd be interesting because I think Rory Thompson's only a game a week or two away from being given a run as well. So that's interesting. That'll be interesting. Yeah, as a forgotten man of the AFL scene, I guess maybe another factor in this too is Richmond having lost to Port Adelaide last start. They're going to uh, come out pretty mean and nasty, I think. So maybe the Suns are looking at that and thinking um, we're not going to catch them on an off day either. Um, yeah. I don't know, it's hard to read what they're thinking, but uh, absolutely no doubt in my mind that the Tigers win this one, finally, and uh, uh, keep pushing towards a top four berth from which uh, they would be a serious, serious flag chance. Uh, currently, uh, sixth on the ladder, but only half a game. Uh, sorry, a game and a half. Beyond. Game and a half. Yep. Yeah, game and a half, but they do have a game in hand over four of the five sides above them on the ladder. Yeah. So win this one against the Suns, and we are very much in Richmond top four territory. Uh, what happens? Give us a result. 
I'm going for the Tigers comfortably. The one Richmond player who would have liked to have been out there to uh, redeem himself has been omitted, of course. Josh, 100 metre caddy. Uh, yes, yes, good point. Um, all right, yes, I'm going for Richmond very comfortably as well, I think, in the order of uh, eight or nine goals. All right, that is it for our Sunday edition. Thanks for joining us. Hope your team had a good win or is about to have a good win if you're back for Richmond or the Suns. Or if they didn't have a good win, hope they can turn it around in the next round. Uh, we'll see you again to preview all of round 13. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors again, Finey. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park is home to the best hamburger in Australia. I really mean that. I love their Andrew's hamburgers. Uh, can I tell you, look, I'm just going to say this. The big company from America that makes burgers, and I know that they're very, and they, my son works for them, and I think they're a great company. What have they done to their cheeseburger? It's, it's smaller. I got a cheeseburger yesterday. It's about the size of a 20 cent coin. You know, I mean, really? One thing about Andrew's hamburgers, they're not skimping, they're not, they're not cutting corners and they're certainly not trimming the size of their burgers. Get down to Andrew's and I'll tell you what, if you've got property, it might just be a good time to maximise the land value. I'm serious about that. With Nick Bartels, West Point Properties. Back to you, Ray. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors. Thank you to our audience. Uh, jump on our Patreon page and become an official Footyology patron. Uh, thanks, everyone, for your support of our relaunched website. We are going great guns and uh, some more great content to come your way in the next couple of days. Uh, I know this because I've uh, read and edited all of it. Um, a really good column coming up from uh, a very good friend of ours, Angela Pippos writing about uh, spending time in lockdown. Uh, Michelangelo Rucci has written a terrific dissection of the Crows. Uh, don't miss that. Anyone with an interest in either of the South Australian football teams. And Scott Goodings, our TV freak, has done a really, really funny piece about uh, all the old gems from TV that you can now dig up on YouTube. Great reading. You will find all that on the Footyology website. Please go to our Patreon page and become an official Footyology supporter and you'll be rewarded many times over. All right, thanks for your company. And, and I've got to say, what a how brilliant the website has become. Like, real, I'm talking about something very special here for people who love good writing in a variety, over a variety of topics. This is absolute manna from heaven. Well done, mate. It is. Uh, we are pretty proud of it here, and uh, we are hoping to continue growing both the recognition of it and the readership. So spread the gospel, people. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again on Thursday.